0: Well, I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question as we get started today. I, I know the speed at which many of you run, and so I already know the answer. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, how many of you have ever found yourself running late for something? Show of hands. <laughs> right, come on. He goes, that's, that's a gimme. Um, how many of you would say that just categorizes your life? You, you know, yeah, okay. Well, let's pretend, let's pretend you're in a car, and you have a very important, important appointment. The, impo- the appointment starts, easy for me to say, the appointment starts in 15 minutes, all right? Appointment starts in 15 minutes, but it's a 20-minute drive, all right? And you haven't left yet. So you're in your car. I'm running five minutes late, all right? You're, you're, you're trying to make up time where you can, and you come to that light. We all know that light. The light that lets, like, three cars left turn lane, green arrow, no green um, circle, it's just the green arrow, it lets like three cars through, and then it takes five minutes to cycle, right? Okay, so you're at that light, and you're running late, you're running late. So your stress level's up a little bit, because it's an important appointment, but fortunately there's just one car ahead of you, just one car, you're like, okay, usually lets at least three through, I'm good. Well, green arrow comes, car ahead of you doesn't move. You give it a second, you're running late, so you give it the one tap. Honk, you know the little short one, right? Nothing. You do the double tap, Hong Kong. nothing. And you're, so in your mind, you're like, what's the deal? I did the polite double tap, and the guy's not moving, right? Was he checking his email? You got, your mind goes all kinds of places. Well, by the time you're ready to hit the long, extended beep, arrow's red. And you're going to be sitting there for another five minutes. So you're like, I, well, I got to get going here. So you get out of your car. You go up. You're going to tap on the glass. And I I want to give you the extreme example. You look into the car thinking, what is this person, sleeping or something? They're having a heart attack. Perspective changes, right? You go from in your head, you're mad, you're angry, you're thinking of all the things they're doing wrong. All of a sudden, everything changes, right? Well, today, we're continuing a series that we started last week about judging others. And in our society, we are so quick to rush to judgment. Last week, we called it a culture of commentary. We form opinions so fast, and we don't just form them. We let them be known. We let the world know what we're thinking. We tweet it, or we, we post it, or we blog it, or we comment on it, or we give a disapproving look, or we give a gesture. I took my Valentine out for lunch uh, on uh, Friday, and we're coming back and uh, somebody in a van was giving the you're number one sign to somebody else uh, with their hand out the window uh, to because they had some opinion that they had formed and they wanted their opinion to be known that that person was number one in their mind. And so uh, at least that's how I read it, right? Um, if you're going to pass judgment on somebody, if you feel that something has happened that's so significant that you need to comment on it, how do you do that well? That's what this series is about how do we do that well? If you're to a place where you've got something that you want to speak into somebody's life, a comment you want to make, a judgment that you think needs to be expressed, how do you do that well? Specific to Christians, what does a sound, measured, God-honoring judgment look like? And last week when we fired off this series, we talked about you can't you can't have a measured response unless you have a standard. And so as Christians, we, we look to the Bible to help us say, is this a ought or is this just an opinion you know is this a I think or is this a you should so that's where we were we were looking at last week well today we're going to turn a corner in fact we're going to stay on this corner that we've now turned for the rest of the series and that is okay once you've reached a conclusion that this is more of a something that needs to be said okay now what how do we do that part well if we determine this is something that's either an ought that I need to speak up or it's in the category of I think I feel but I still need to express it how do we do that how do we do that well and there shouldn't be any surprises when you see that this is the one we're going to focus on today, that this is the one we're starting with. If you have, if you have your notes, if you're a note taker, I'd encourage you to write this down. Here's, here's what we're looking at today. The principle that comes from the scriptures, if you're going to speak into someone's life, what you want to do is you want to start with yourself. Right? No surprises. Start with yourself. And the reason why this shouldn't come as a surprise for those of you who are believers, those who've been reading your Bible, this is a principle it's not hard to find. In the scriptures. Let me just give you a couple examples. Here's one from the book of Luke. This is from Luke chapter 6, 37 through 39. It says, do not judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn. You won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Here's one from the book of Romans. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. That's Romans 2.1. This is from the book of James. James chapter 2, verse 13. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And this next one's interesting. Not only it com- because it comes in the book that we're going to focus on today, but because it comes from the mouth of Jesus. He says this um, as he was teaching his disciples. He said, teach us to pray. Master, would you teach us to pray? This is included in the prayer that he taught them. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven are debtors. And when he finished teaching them that prayer, he even threw a little commentary after that prayer. This comes almost immediately after that. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly father will not forgive your sins. That's from Matthew chapter six, verses fourteen and fifteen. There's a clear teaching, clear teaching in the Bible. That if you're a disciple of Jesus, meaning if you're a follower of Jesus, you're trying to be more like this man. If you're trying to be more like him, there's this clear teaching that disciples of Jesus are not exempt from the standards that we expect others to conform to. We're not exempt from that. And before we start saying this is what you should do, we should look at ourselves. Now, I, wanna, I said I want to focus on, on one passage today, and that comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 7. This is the one we're going to look at, and we're going to spend... Almost our entire time here in this passage and then commenting on it. So if you have your Bibles, it's worth opening up to. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. I'll I'll read it in its entirety, and then we're going to come back and and piece it out. Um, I also want to let you know, too, as we're turning to our Bibles, if if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. Every week we keep a stack of them there at that table and on the other one, and they're there for you. It's there as a gift. You don't have to let us know or sign anything. We would love for you to, to take one home today if you don't have a Bible. All right. Before I, I read this, I just want to say a couple things about it. If you're not familiar with the author of this or um, or this this book of the Bible, uh, I want to give you a little context. The author is a guy named Matthew, and Matthew had an occupation before he left it all to follow Jesus. What was his occupation? Go ahead and just tax collector. So he knew about judgment, right? From that occupation, he knew about judgment, especially in his context, because he was in this context where the, the Roman government was using these tax collectors to tax this land that they'd occupied, the land of Israel. And so Matthew was looked at by his neighbors as a traitor. So they judged him. They're like, you're a traitor for taking taxes. And then the Roman government was later judging Matthew because as a disciple of Jesus, they said, no, you're a traitor for following this man. So Matthew knew about judgment for what it's worth. Also, I find this fascinating. Matthew, being a numbers guy, you can see that, that he likes order in this gospel. One of the things that's so unique about the scriptures, at least is what we believe to be true as as Christians, is that this is fully inspired by God, This, this book, fully inspired by God. But every individual contributor, you also see their personality in it. The accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they are so different. And, and this one is just so neat and ordered. He likes to section things. That's one of the things he likes to do. And this section that we're going to look at here is in a little bit bigger section that we call now the Sermon on the Mount, where he takes these teachings of Jesus and he groups them all together. In fact, if you have what's called the Red Letter Bible, where they give the letters of Jesus and the, the color of uh, the words of Jesus in red, you can see this is a section where it's a whole lot of teachings back to back to back. From Jesus, This Sermon on the Mount, as we call it, provides a wide range of instructions. Wide range. Not just about judgment, but on all kinds of things. For those who want to follow Jesus and take part in what Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven, that's an interesting phrase. It's a community, and it's a community of anyone who calls God king and is setting out to follow him like a king. So it includes those who've gone before us, it includes those of us who are alive now all around the world. and It includes those yet to come. Anyone who, who says, God, you are the king, and I want to live with that reality. That's what this kingdom of heaven is about. It, it, it happens now. It's, it's yet to happen. It's happened in the past. It's this big thing, the community of God. So here is teaching about how do, you, how do you enter this kingdom of heaven, and what does it look like for those who want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And then that takes us back to the text. So back to verses 1 and 2. Let's piece it out. Do not judge, he says, and there's the Greek word, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I want to say that Jesus is a master teacher. You can hear these words and you can just read them through and, and, and you can miss what a master he was. Um, on one level, he's a master because here we are sitting in Minnesota on a, yet another cool day And a snowy day. And we're on the other side of the world. And we're talking about the the words of a Jewish carpenter here. We're studying them. So evidently, this guy was a master teacher because we're still looking at his words today. And we're able to look at this as a person in the 21st century in Minnesota, different culture, so many things have changed. We we get it. We can hear these words, and we don't really need someone to tell you exactly what's going on here. You can still get it. And whether you're here, whether you're in a different time period, whether you're on a different continent... This is universal. If if someone can translate it into your language, you can look at this and at least have a surface understanding. I know what he's getting at. I know what he's getting at. You don't have to tell me about this analogy. I I get it. So there's one level on which Jesus was a master teacher. Here's another one. He he understands language. He understands rhetorical um, construction. He employs here the rhetorical technique of repetition. Two times prior to this, he says roughly the same thing using different words, different imagery. So Jesus, he's got a universality to this language of his. He, he employs a rhetorical technique of repetition. But what makes this teaching even more masterful than cross-cultural clarity or clever use of repetition, it's the richness when you consider the original context. It's rich. For instance, I, I put the, the Greek transliteration of the word he uses. He uses the word for judge that is it's all-encompassing. Well, at least this is the word that Matthew records. The the Greek word that Matthew records there um, is a Greek word that is loaded with meaning. Depending on the context, it can mean when you're talking about judging, just simple discernment or evaluation. It's a word that can mean judicial litigation. It can mean a pronouncement of guilt. It can mean the bestowal of an award, like in the Olympics. It can even mean the absolute determination of a person's fate. It can mean eternal judgment. So here, with just one word, This teaching can apply to judgment from A to Z. So I think that's interesting. And even more than that, when when you're a a teacher, one of the things you want to try to do is you want to try to start with something that people can just agree to. You know, something that everyone would raise their hand to, for instance. And and Jesus, what he does here, he starts with something that the first century Jewish audience, they would all agree to this. Oh, you're using the imagery of a measuring scale. Totally get it. That applies to God, I get it. God likes us to measure things fairly in, in the Hebrew scriptures, the, the documents that the first century Jewish audience would say these are from God. this is holy. they are scriptures they're first century scriptures. In those scriptures, the God of Israel expresses his disgust for dishonest scales. In the Hebrew scriptures, the God of Israel gives us the principle of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. God wants things to be fair. In the Hebrew Scriptures, at least among us, in the Hebrew Scriptures, false witnesses sometimes are told that the penalty that they sought for the accused is the penalty that will be applied to them if they're making a false accusation. And in the Hebrew Scriptures, we are told of a coming day when God will judge. He'll judge the righteous and the unrighteous. And so, all this to say, Jesus takes this first century Jewish audience and he takes what they already know. They're all going, yep, God is into fair. God is into measurement. It makes sense that if we're going to be measuring against somebody else, we should apply that to ourselves. He, he, he says, all right, everyone, do you get this? And they're like, we got it. We're, we're with you. All right, then he builds on it. Then he builds on it. So here's him building on it, starting with verse 3. Okay, why then, he says, if you agree with all this, if you agree that we should use equal measurements, if you agree that we should be fair, if you agree that God likes it, when we do that? Okay, then why? Why would you look at a speck in someone else's eye? I'll just read it here, Matthew 7, 3 through 4. Why do you then look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that little speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank? So again, what Jesus does, he takes something they all agree with and then he gives them something else that builds on that that they can also all agree with. Yeah, that wouldn't be fair. But the thing I want to draw your attention to in this little passage here is that word brother. That's a loaded term too because it, it, it implies relationship. But also you'll see in the continuing mes- uh, message that Jesus brings, he begins to say, if you're a part of the kingdom of heaven, you're part of God's family. You're part of the family. fact there's a point at which he says later and Matthew records this he he says who's my mother who's my brother who's my sister the one who lives in obedience to the father that's my mother that's my brother that's my sister so there's this this family aspect he says if if you're part of the same family why are you doing this now the reason I go off on that tangent rather than other ones here is is because of this I want to show you a verse in advance that we're going to look at next week This is from 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to pair these up together. I'm going to summarize uh, the the teaching that we're looking at here from Matthew 7, 1 through 4. So I put a summary up there. And then at the top, I have a different passage that we're going to look at next week. 1 Corinthians 5.11. And this is an interesting passage. It says, hey, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you're to judge? So here we have a, a teaching from Paul that says, hey, be careful, 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 careful if you're judging someone outside the church. You know, why are you using our standards for them? You know, let's, let's focus on judging those in the church. Now, the reason I pair those up is because I believe Scripture helps us understand Scripture. And so if you only read Matthew 7, don't judge or you're going to be judged. What could happen? You, you, could, you could maybe take that too far. And certainly with 1 Corinthians 5.11, we've seen people take that one too far, right? If you read 1 Corinthians 5.11, you didn't read Matthew 7, what, what might you be guilty of? Judging too quick? Hey, they're in the church. It's open season. You're a Christian? Oh, let me judge you. Here we go. You're doing this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. Brother, sister, <laughs> let me bring a, a, a rebuke from the Lord to you. And so I love this because you have this, this tension that is held. You have this tension that's held if you look at the full witness of Scripture. Okay, be, be careful here. You, know, if you're gonna, you can speak into the life of another Christian, but be careful. And, and, and this principle comes of start with yourself. Start with yourself. Exactly. Thank you, Brother Rick. I judge your comment as wonderful. All right. <laughs> So then how, how do we do this? How do we do this? If, if there are times where we do speak into each other's lives, if there are times we are to speak to those inside the church, you know, bring a message, okay, how do we do that well? How do we do that well? All right, let's continue. That's what we're looking at here. Matthew 7, 5 says this. He says, um, uh, hey, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. You want to do this well? First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's Matthew 7, 5. Now, this hypocrite word is an, e- is an interesting one. I think we've commented on this before. I, I put the Greek transliteration up there for you. The word actually comes from theater. It comes from Greek theater, where in, back in the day, they put on a, a performance, and they would have people playing multiple ro- roles. So the word hypocrite was a theater word where you would, you would be playing one character. You would run off stage, throw on a different costume. You'd come back out, play a different character. And then when it was time to bring that character, he would run off, throw on a different mask, a different costume, and come back out. That was a hypocrite. Isn't that an interesting imagery, metaphor? So he applies that Greek word to say, hey, it's like you're being two-faced. It's like you're you're, you're not being consistent. And, and, And so the other thing I found that was interesting here, I counted at least 12 times where that Greek word shows up in Matthew. This is the only one where Jesus, at least that I could find, this is the only one where Jesus says, Hey, he takes this word hypocrite, and he applies it to one of his disciples. Elsewhere, he applies it to religious people who aren't followers of his. He applies it to them 11 times. He, he, he applies it to a follower of Jesus once. So, so evidently, this is something that if you are a follower of Jesus, this is a warning for us that this can happen. This is an area, a trap that we can fall into. Where a sincere, devoted follower of Jesus can be tempted to judge someone else without first looking in the mirror, without first looking at themselves, and I just want to quick uh, give a teachable moment here with a real life example on this. Uh, we we've had we've had so many new people come, especially since this fall. Um, in fact. It, in this room on any given Sunday, one in five people weren't here a year ago. So we have a lot of of new faces. And and we hope that if this is a place that you feel comfortable, that you can feel more than comfortable, that you can feel a part of our family. We would love that. And what can happen sometimes is you can, if you want to make that step, you can sometimes lose track of, well, what's my part in this? And we had some great testimonials on uh, the annual meeting. In fact, John and and Emmy were sharing how when their first First impressions when they came to the church is, hey, we just don't feel connected here. But rather than saying that's their job, they said, what's our part? They looked in the mirror first, and they volunteered on a team. They joined a small group, and I'm so glad they did, and they're so glad they did. They ended up moving literally closer to the church to be closer to the church. That was neat. And, and if they wouldn't have taken that extra step to get connected, they would have been missing out, and we would have been missing out. Now they've started that whole connect team. That was them that helped get that thing up and running. John's one of our elders now. So this whole idea of, you know, what, what's your part in this? We will do our, our part. We just can't connect you if you're new. We will do our best. We'll offer opportunities. We'll say, here's groups and here's, here's people that we can help you to get to know. We'll do the best we can to be, to be friendly and, and welcoming and, and, and everything. But it's a two-way thing, right? We can't connect you. We can provide opportunities and people that you can possibly connect to. All right, end of sermon within the sermon. Let's get back on on our notes. Here we go. So before you speak into someone's life, the overall principle we're looking at today, start with yourself. Start with yourself. And then let's break that down a little bit. One of the things as you start with yourself that we want to encourage you to do and that scriptures encourage us to do, seek his righteousness, God's standards. As, As we're looking at ourselves, say, okay, God, how do you see me? Not just how do I see myself? What are all my excuses for judging But how do you see me? Before you start speaking in the lives of others, ask God, before I say anything, is there anything, God, that I should be working on first? What would you have me to do? Am I being a hypocrite? Am I I judging these people for things that I'm doing myself? And that's real common. It's called projection, I believe. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a a therapist. But I believe it's projection where where you, because sometimes you see this, right? Sometimes people that are judging the hardest in a certain area, it's the thing they're struggling with. That happens sometimes. And so we want to make sure, am I guilty of this? Am I judging you really harshly on something that I'm not even really attending to myself? Another thought, you know, question you can ask God and reflect on. Do I have some things that I should work on myself before I say anything to them? Is there something in my life that's so glaring that, that when I say, hey, I've got something to share with you, is the first thing going to be coming from them, defensiveness? Because they're like, well, what do you mean? Who are you to say anything? You know? Is there some relationship building that should happen first? Is there some forgiveness you should ask for? Are there some just glaring things that that you should work on before you open your mouth? And one of the things that happens when I actually remember to do this is I end up having a lot more grace for people because when I think, hey, why don't you just change, I think about how hard it is for me to just change, right? And how much I have to work on. Just that little exercise because you might think, hey, you... Why is gossip such a big thing? Why do you have to read magazines that's all gossip? You know what the scripture says about gossip? You know it's not helpful. You know a lot of this stuff may or may not be true. Why are you reading the gossip columns in, on, online? Why are you spreading gossip? Why are you engaging in gossip? Why, why, why? Well, they could look at you and say, all right, how come you can't just give up your overspending? And you're like, oh, because it's hard to give up overspending. Well, You know, it might be hard for them, for you to say, come on, why don't you just exercise more? You know what's good for you, blah, 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 blah. They might say, well, why aren't you just more generous? Well, because that's hard. (laughs) Well, it might be very hard for them to break that addiction. There's a reason why it's called an addiction. And, And so for us to say, all you need is an accountability partner, all you need is this, that, the other thing. No, it's not that easy. Just pray more. It's, it's not any easier for someone else to break an addiction than it is for you to break an addiction. And so the more we start to look inward and say, okay, God, what does your righteousness look like? How do I measure up to that? We start to realize, whoa, it's hard. It is hard to walk the straight and narrow, you know? And that gives us a lot more grace for others. It gives us a lot more grace because we're like, it's hard for them too. And that brings us into our next point that before you speak into someone else's life, boy, you want to come from a place of grace. And, and notice how I say receive before you even extend it. If you've never received God's grace, it's just when you give, when you speak into someone's life, it's going to feel yucky. It's going to feel like judgment. It is going to feel like condemnation because you haven't experienced forgiveness yourself. And until you can experience God's forgiveness, God's grace, and, and to know that, wow, what you were powerless to do, he's forgiven. Oh, that puts a whole new place. A whole new place to be able to say to someone else, boy, We have a God of grace, and I'm coming from that spot. Rather than coming from a place of judgment, I'm coming from a place of grace. Please hear these words. For those who judge from a place of holier-than-thou, from those who who believe they are just more righteous than someone else, for those who judge from a place of holier-than-thou, when they grasp the message of the gospel, when they begin to understand there is no such thing as self-righteousness, when they at a heart level begin to realize the grace and the sacrificial love that was demonstrated on the cross, any grace that they can extend fails. It just it pales in comparison. And on the other side, for, for I would say most people in this room, your issue isn't self-righteousness, it's self-condemnation. What right do I have to say to anybody, anything? My life is such a mess. I fall so short. Well, here's a message for you. For those of us who feel Feelings of self-condemnation. And they tend to be bigger issues for us than feelings of self-righteousness. When we begin to grasp the message of the gospel, when we begin to understand there is a God whose love for us is not conditional, when we at a heart level begin to realize what it means that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, how can you not share that grace with others? How can you withhold that? When you experience grace... How can you withhold that from someone else? See why the good news is called the good news? We're not sharing bad news. God's going to get you. We share good news. Look what can happen in your life. Look at this invitation that God's extended. You can give God your old life. He can give you this new one. That's good news. Good news. And then that brings us to number four. Before you speak into someone's life, we've got the overall principle. Start with yourself. What does that look like? Start by saying, God, what are your standards? What then do you go from there? Receive and extend His grace. Wow, I'm going to receive this grace. It's amazing. I'm going to extend it to others. And then what you want to do, if you are going to actually open your mouth, you want to point people towards a repentance that leads to what? Life. If you're going to point someone to some kind of change, point it to a change that actually leads to life. Um, this phrase is one of my new favorites. One of my new favorites. In preparation for Easter, I've been reading through Luke and Acts. We're going to be diving into the book of Luke as we journey with Jesus in in the season of Lent that's coming up. So I'm reading ahead, and I came across this in Acts 11, 18. This, this, This phrase just popped out. Here it is. God has granted repentance that leads to life. I love that phrase. Repentance is a word that means to turn away from sin and turn towards God. There are some people who call for repentance, but it's not pointing them towards God. It's pointing them towards a false understanding of God. And in Jesus' day, there are all kinds of people who are preaching repentance. There are all kinds of people saying, this is how you should live, not the way you're living. You should live like this. There are all kinds of people doing that. And in Matthew 23, Jesus lays into these people. These religious leaders, he just lays into them. Because the repentance they were calling people to was not a repentance that led to life. It was a heavy burden. It wasn't wasn't Christianity. It wasn't wasn't the faith that God was calling us to. It was this legalistic mess. In Matthew 23, as I said, Jesus lays into these religious people who, quote, tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. In fact, Jesus says, you can't even carry these yourselves what in the world are you trying to do throwing him on someone else's shoulders? He lays into the people who, quote, shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You're not good enough. Oh, you blew it. Just shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. He lays into people who tithe down to their spice rack, but, quote, neglected the weightier measures matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. And you know what he called these people? He called them all kinds of vipers, all kinds of things. what I'm thinking of, though, is he called them whitewashed tombs. Think of that imagery. He said, you whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside. Inside, you're dead. You're just dead and unclean. And that's not getting people to turn towards God, to be like that. You're just turning them towards empty religion. In fact, Jesus says this to these people. He says... Don't even bother making converts. You guys, you'll you'll get in your boat. You'll travel to the edge of the world to try to make a convert. He says, don't do it because if you turn them into a convert to be like you, you convert them to your religion, you're going to make them as much a son of hell as you are, he says. And I was thinking about that. The name Satan means the accuser. The accuser. He was actually literal in that comment. You become a son of hell if you're just accusing people and accusing people. that you're, you're giving them a repentance that doesn't lead to life. It just leads to death. Here's how bad you are. Here's how bad you are. Here's how bad you are. What do I do with that? Now, here's the thing. though. I've got to provide a little balance here because the enemy loves to do this too. He doesn't love just to accuse. He loves to get us going the right direction too far. and And you can go the right direction too far and in the in 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 the good intention of saying I don't want to offend people I don't want to hurt people I don't want to judge people, you can end up withholding something that's life giving. Here's another phrase I came across. Um, this one's out of uh, the book of Isaiah fifty six twelve. One of the when I was reading in Matthew and I was looking at some different commentaries, they said, "Hey, check out Isaiah fifty six 12. And I did, and I was thinking, "Wow, I don't want to be that." It says. They are, and this is talking about church leaders, they're saying they're like silent watchdogs. They give no warning when danger comes. I wonder if sometimes we're so careful, with good intentions, so careful not to push people away, that we can become a silent watchdog. And I think about that phrase, and I see why they said take a look at that, because if you have your Bibles open, just look at what comes next. Here we read this, this section, this teaching of Jesus. We read this in, in Matthew 7, and, and it says, hey, don't judge or you'll be judged. Look at what comes next. We have this teaching, just, just only a couple verses removed, where it talks about there's, there's a wide gate that many go through, and it leads to what? Destruction. And there's a narrow gate that very few find, and it leads to That's a cautionary tale. That's a judgment section. And the very next section after that, true and false prophets. Jesus says, here's how you determine a true prophet from a false prophet. Is that a judgment thing? That's a judgment thing. Very next teaching after that, very next. Here's a true disciple and a false disciple. And that one's scary because it it lists all these things in the end that that people are going to say, I did this, God. I did this, God. I did this, God. And Jesus is going to say to them, I never knew you. And the very next teaching after that is, is, is on, the, on these people who, some of which, they heard what Jesus had to say, they didn't apply it to their lives. Jesus said, That is like building a house on a foundation of sand. And when the storms and the trials come, what's going to happen to that house? It's going to collapse. And yet, if you hear my words, you take my words, you apply them to your life, that's like building on a foundation of stone. And when life storms come, which they will come, that thing's going to stand. And so clearly Jesus isn't teaching the other extreme of being a silent watchdog to know this and to say nothing ever because you're afraid, hey, I got things in my eye and I can't see clearly. it's interesting is, again, as you continue to read in Matthew 7, same chapter, verse 12, which comes very shortly after the passage we just finished reading, this is where we find the golden rule. It says this, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And aren't there times where you would want someone to tell you the truth? You know, I, I... I mean, no one wants to hear from a hypocrite. That, that's the given. No one wants to hear from from a plank eye, someone that's got a case of plank eye, any more than someone wants to watch poor Bob Costas with pink eye. You know, we we don't want either of those things. So that's the given, right? But can we move on past that? Of okay, we we will always have something in our blurring our vision. We will never be perfect. But if you have a doctor who's not perfect and they have something that they can prescribe that is life giving, don't you still want that? Even if they're not perfect. Wait, they have some stuff they have to work on. Don't we all? If you've got something life-giving, I want that. Or let's say you've got a boss, and your boss is sitting down with you at your evaluation, and your boss has life. They said this can save your job. If you do this, this can save your job. Are you going to say, I'm not going to receive that because you're not perfect? Or are you going to say, I want my job. I'm going to listen to this imperfect person who's got a life-giving message for me as a parent can you imagine trying to parent if we always had to get everything out of our own eyes before we said hey put down the cookies you know or get out of the middle of the street or whatever we have to say there are times where as a parent we can't get everything right we just have to speak life-giving words into our kids and as a friend no, none of us has a nobody has a friend who's perfect. Unless you want to get real Christianese. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's perfect. Of course we have that. But, but meaning like a, a person, friend. None of them are perfect. Perfect. But wouldn't you want that imperfect friend to speak if they had something life-giving? You'd want them to speak that into your life. We would, we would want that. So as a, as, a, as a Christian, for those of us in this room who are, are saying we want to be followers, disciples of Jesus, sometimes the right thing for us to do is to point people towards the repentance that leads to life, even if we don't ever act together first. Here's, what, again, putting this all together, Matthew 7, 12 to 14. Here's the golden rule. So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Look at the very next words. Enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and broad and is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate. Narrow the road that leads to life. Only few find it. So you put all that together. Okay, no one wants to hear from the hypocrite. No one wants to feel just judged. No one wants to, to have someone that doesn't have their best interests in mind who's bringing a message of repentance that just leads to legalism or guilt. So we don't want to be that. That's not what we want others to do to us. But what we would love others to do, I would hope, would be, if you've got a hard message, please bring it with as much grace as you can. But, but let me know it. In the Bible... I mean, this is, this is where things really get a lot on the line. In the Bible, the kingdom of heaven, it's not presented as humanity's default. There is a repentance that leads to life. And whether it's that extreme or whether it's just something that's helpful, you know, if we're going to speak into someone's life, how do we do that well? Well, that's what we've been talking about today. Start with yourself. Next week, we'll pick up with two more. Well, we'll do one more principle next week and, and another one the week after that. But before we go our separate ways this morning, what I'd like to do is to apply this one in, individually. And the way we're going to do that is we have counselors set up in the hall No, just kidding. <laughs> what we're gonna, the way we're going to do that, the way we're going to do that today is I just want you to take some time with, with God. I could say, go do that, but we're, most of us are running late, right? And it's, it's, uh, it's hard to do that. So we're going to build a little time, just a couple minutes today, to just reflect on, on, on this teaching from Jesus. And here's some questions that may help. Maybe these are some questions. Um, you don't have to use these. You can just say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Would you reveal to me how, how you would have me to apply this, this message? But here's some questions that may be more pointed than that. The first one is this, for you personally. Um, do you look inward and upward before you speak into someone's life? Do you hit pause? Do you hit pause long enough to say, okay, boy, what stuff should I work on before I say anything? And then upward to say, God, boy, what are your standards and help me to understand your grace at a deeper level so I can be a person who brings something life giving. So you might want to start with that. Am, am I doing this God? Am I applying this teaching? Am I looking inward? Am I looking upward? And then out of that one, do you have any apologies to me? Are there there some people that that come to mind, that the Holy Spirit brings to mind to say, you know what, here's somebody that you've been judging, and it's just not fair. Here's somebody that maybe you've been pushing too hard on, and you need to back off. So think about that. Here's some more questions that might be helpful. Have you ever blurred that line between tolerance and apathy? Um, I, I once heard it said that the opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is apathy. And are there any people in your life that maybe the Holy Spirit brings to mind to say, you know... I have a hard conversation. That's that last point, a hard conversation. I have a hard conversation that I feel as though I I should make. I just haven't done it yet. Perhaps that's where the Holy Spirit will take you this morning. But we're just going to give you two minutes. We'll play some instrumental music and and give you a chance to to personalize this. So let's pray. Father, we take this time now and and we gather, and and even if this exercise is brand new, maybe especially if this exercise is brand new to some people, we, we pray that your Spirit would come. And that the thoughts that start to fill our mind would be your thoughts. That you would help us to reflect well. That you would help us to reflect and, and see things the way you see them and point us that direction. You know, are we judging people too quickly? And are there any specific people we should ap- apologize to? Are we on the other extreme where we're, we're not saying something that needs to be said? And, and Lord, would you help us to have those conversations? So whatever it is you need to say to us, we give you... Not just permission, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and descend upon us and speak to us as individuals. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for taking that moment to do that. A um, couple closing thoughts. The first one is this. It's, it's a lot easier to just judge people. Isn't it? It's a lot easier to not hit pause. It's a lot easier to just form your conclusions. Um, the other thing is that uh, it can be awkward sometimes to be the only person in a group when they start going down a, a, a trail to be the one not saying anything and not jumping in on those conversations. You know, or to say, hey, let's give that person the benefit of the doubt. And, what are you judging us? And, and that whole thing. So, so I get that. But this is such a better way to live. Where we're not jumping to conclusions. Where we're not othering people. Where, where we're not being hypocrites. At least that blatantly. You know. So, so I want to encourage you to walk down this path. You know, to be that friend. To be that person who cares enough to wrestle with how do I do this well? How do I speak into another person's life well? So we'll pray to that end here as we, as we close our service today. And after the service, if you'd like to pray about these things with someone else, a uh, prayer team would, would love to meet you. You talk about a group that's not going to judge you. Um, they're there to listen. They are there to, to encourage. They're there to support. So whether it's about this or, or anything, they'd love to, to pray with you after after the service. But please stand. Let me pray a blessing over us as we go forth and try to live live this out let's pray father thank you that you cared enough for us to send your son into our world to walk among us and to teach us things like this we thank you for matthew who understood what it was like to be judged and and who was able to record these words for us and we pray lord that we don't that we take full advantage of that opportunity and, and and we ask your spirit to help us apply this god we don't want to just be in the mushy middle. We don't want to be kind of not judgmental and kind of quick to speak up. God, we want to be a both and. Help us to be people who we extend grace the way you extended grace to us. Help us to be people that are agonizingly slow to, to speak into situations of which we don't know, that we're so quick to, to look at ourselves and to say, God, what, what, would, what would you want to work on today in my life? So help us to be fully that and at the same time, God, help us to, to be quick to speak when there's something that needs to be spoken into. You know, when, the, when, there, when there is a hand that needs to go up, when there is a timeout that needs to be called, when, 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 when you need to speak, may we be the first one to say, here I am, send me. God, we can't walk that razor's edge on our own. I have a picture of literally walking on a razor with bare feet. That's just messy. So all that we can do, Father, is turn to you and ask that you give us your mind. And your heart, help us and teach us to be more like you. Bless us like that as we go forth from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.